Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. It might surprise you to learn that despite the excellent benefits of knee replacement surgery for reducing pain and improving knee function, people are just as physically inactive after surgery as they were before. It kind of puts paid to the idea that if only someone's knee pain was under control, they could exercise more, doesn't it? So if it's not an issue of knee symptoms and function, then what is going on? Dr. Daniel White is an expert in physical activity and osteoarthritis from the University of Delaware, and he joins me today to explain three common myths about physical activity with knee osteoarthritis and share up-to-date research so that you can counter those myths when you're next in the clinic. Dr. White leads the Active Lab at University of Delaware, where his research team is developing clinically feasible and practical ways to keep older adults, people with arthritis, and people after total joint replacement fit and active. Oh, and while we're on the subject of physical activity, did you know that the most recent physical activity guidelines include regular strength training and aerobic exercise? For more information, check out the links in the show notes of today's episode. All right, let's get started. Dr. Daniel White, welcome to JOSPT Insights. Thanks so much, Claire. It's great to be here. It's great to have you joining us today, and it seems really appropriate because we're recording in the first couple of months of the new year, 2022. We're talking about physical activity today, and it's the time when folks are making resolutions to start moving, to maybe change their diet, to quit smoking. And folks who are listening to us today might be also having those sorts of conversations with friends and family, patients who are coming in to see them in the clinic. And so I'm really glad to have you join us here today to help us get up to speed with what we really need to know when we're talking about physical activity in the clinic with the patients that we're working with. And I'd like to start with what might seem on the face of it to be a little bit of a boring way to kick off a podcast, but I reckon it's really important that we set the scene. When people are reading research on physical activity, what is it that we're reading about? What is physical activity? Basically, physical activity is any energy expenditure over a resting level burning energy above that resting level. So this includes unstructured activities, that is uh, calories burned while you're going about your day, go shopping, you mind your children if you have them, so on and so forth. But it also includes structured activities and specifically uh, exercise. You know, there are different types of, of exercise, obviously. There's strengthening exercise, there's cardiovascular endurance exercise. But mind you, all of those fall under the umbrella of physical activity, as well as those unstructured tasks uh, that you just do on a daily basis. When we're thinking about measuring physical activity or talking with patients about their day-to-day tasks and helping patients to understand what it is we mean by physical activity, is it simply getting people moving? Are we really talking about physical activity from a health perspective in terms of, you know, getting more aerobic exercise or more strength training, meeting the physical activity guidelines. But as you say, physical activity can be really broad, which leads me to the next question, I guess, which is why should, why should PTs or physiotherapists care about physical activity? Why does it deserve our attention in the clinic? I think we need to own the physical activity sphere. 
this is such in our wheelhouse. It is just unbelievable. And the physical activity tool in our toolbox is one of the most potent that we have. I mean, what other drug can impact a broad range of outcomes from muscular strength to cardiovascular health to your emotional well-being, and then even preventing some types of cancer and preventing early death. I mean, holy cow, all of those things are, you know, in part linked to the benefits of, of being active. I think one major question in health, in healthcare for the last 30 years, is who's going to own this physical activity space? You know, who is going to be the person? And you can look at the interviews in popular media and they say, all right, a study comes out saying, you know, recently I'm in Lee at Harvard published a study saying, well, you know, adults should walk about 7,000 steps per day. And they interview a clinician. Well, then who do they go after to talk about the steps per day? And it's interesting. It is all over the place. So, for example, there's primary care physicians that they interview, but, you know, they only have 15 minutes with their patients, you know, once a year. That's not a lot of time to help people be active. There's exercise physiologists. They only typically see a segment of patients who primarily have, you know, cardiac related pathology. I mean, PTs are born for this. We have, you know, more training and experience in the mechanics of assessing, diagnosing, and prescribing exercise than anyone else on the planet. And it's not so hard for us to imagine that, you know, adding physical activity to our treatment regimens is just incredibly important to our patients. And then to top it off, the patients that we see in the clinic are the most inactive people on the planet because of their conditions. And they're the ones who need that extra push, as well as a, a professional who understands what the potency of them being active is on their health. Sometimes these sorts of conversations can feel like, oh, we're just waving the flag for PT or, you know, you and I are both PTs, so we're a bit biased in this area. But as you say, often when and we see physical activity as an issue come up again and again and again because there's just this overwhelming evidence suggesting that a physically inactive population is not a, a healthy population. I think all of our listeners will be really familiar with the research that illustrates just how much of a contributor physical inactivity is to the global burden of disease. I guess what really interests me here, when you look at the curricula for physical activity training in healthcare, so in PT schools, in medicine, in other areas of healthcare, it's kind of missing. So I guess where do we get that training and is it something that you just pick up intuitively or is it something that needs some concrete attention and really clear education and training on how to prescribe? I, I don't know if I have a good answer to uh, of how we solve that. I mean, it's, it's, such, it's essentially, it's like the one of the best kept secrets that's out there is, is all these benefits. Historically, the media campaigns from American College of Sports Medicine, who's kind of owned the physical activity space, you know, in, within the United States for the last 30 years, their campaigns have largely not been super effective. There's a national physical activity plan. We have had guidelines that have been from the state, you know, state-of-the-art guidelines for physical activity that have been given every 10 years. And still, there's not an overwhelming, you know, change in behavior in, in response to that. And I think the key here is that this is a really broad field and there's a lot of different ways that people are tackling this from a research perspective, from a health professional education perspective, from an engaging with patients perspective. 
some of the principles like motivational interviewing, all of those things that are related to behaviour change are potentially going to come into helping folks to take more physical activity. We could go in in lots of different tangents, but I want to keep us on the rails today. And let's move to your area. Folks will know your terrific work in osteoarthritis and particularly the relationship between movement and health and osteoarthritis. And we're going to talk a lot about knee pain today. So I want to start by looking at some of the common myths that people, so patients might hear about walking and physical activity more broadly, perhaps, for knee pain and or osteoarthritis? There is, like in other areas, there's a lot of misinformation out there. One is that I will damage my knee more than it's already damaged by being physically active or doing exercise, which is completely not true. Another message that people hear or believe in is that exercise is not a real treatment. It's not going to fix my knee pain. Exactly. And that's not true. And the other thing kind of along those lines is that, you know, I have bone on bone osteoarthritis or arthritis and surgery is the only real treatment option. And there's a lot of evidence that that counters this, that that is not true. While you may need surgery in the end, there are lots of things you can try before going to surgery. So I will damage my knee more than it's already damaged. There's people that believe because especially with osteoarthritis, you know, it's a mechanical disease that, you know, the the more force you put through your knee, the theory is the more damage you're going to do. And obviously, if you are exercising, in most cases, it's a weight-bearing, you know, uh, type of endeavor. And aren't I damaging my knees more? Most recently, uh, my postdoctoral fellow, Dana Vanier, has taken a look at data from the Osteoarthritis Initiative, which is a, a large cohort of over uh, 5,000 people with knee osteoarthritis who've had repeated MRIs over time and looked at, at their physical activity and found that those who were more physically active had no more loss in their joint space narrowing or in their joints than those who were not physically active. So it's not that you, if you're physically active, your knees are going to progress more. There's been clinical trials, uh, namely from Steve Messier uh, at Wake Forest, who's shown you know, repeated MRIs and x-rays over time in people randomized to exercise conditions, which were primarily walking, that their knees did not progress any faster than those people who were in the control condition that, that didn't walk. Empirically, we have a lot of data to show that you are not going to progress your knees faster by doing exercise. Now, are there special clinical cases that if somebody has a, a, a major malalignment, that you know, maybe weight-bearing is not going to be the best for them? Absolutely. Use your clinical sense here. You know? But by and large, for most people, though, that have arthritis, being active is not going to progress their disease faster. So your next one was about exercise is not going to fix my knee. How do you counter that? Yeah, so, so exercise isn't a real treatment. You know, there's been a lot of studies done on the placebo effect. And unfortunately, the more invasive a procedure or intervention, the more perception there is that it's efficacious. So obviously, if it's an injection, or even if it's better yet, surgery, that is much more invasive. And those are just naturally perceived to be more efficacious. However, in light of more modern evidence where we've had sham trials and adequate blinding, these 
interventions, that this does not prove to be true, that the more invasive something is, the more efficacious it is. In fact, exercise stands its ground with having a moderate-sized effect that is similar to medication and surgery uh, for, for the treatment of NEOA. So the notion that exercise isn't a real treatment is, is completely debunked with, you know, this more modern evidence that we have. That kind of gets to the last point, you know, I have bone on bone, you know, and surgery is the only real treatment option. Well, surgery is an option, but it should be much later in the disease course than it actually is. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, for some cases that people, they tried everything and they need to have surgery. Absolutely. But by and large, you know, the latest, the data that I have is that, you know, less than 20% of people five years before a knee replacement see a physical therapist. So one out of five. And I have to interpret that as a lot of people aren't trying this exercise, physical activity, you know, pulling that exercise, physical activity lever. And they could be pleasantly surprised to find out, well, I could off put off the surgery. Exercise is a very good option. And it's not something that is just a, oh, I'll try just to say I check the box or it's probably not going to work. The evidence says otherwise and, and, and give it a little bit more hope and, and give it a try. We could talk a lot about the specifics of an exercise program and how do you prescribe that. And that's for a different episode. And I'd actually encourage folks to go back and have a listen to Professor Eva Roos in the history of the JOSPT Insights feed. Eva walked through the GLAD program, the Good Living with Osteoarthritis Denmark program, which does talk a lot about this exercise component and also the education the other part that goes alongside that exercise program. So I encourage folks to go there for more information on prescribing specific exercises or specific physical activity. I do want to talk with you, Dan, a bit about what typically happens to folks' physical activity levels when they have a painful knee, when they have osteoarthritis, when your knee starts to get sore and maybe starts to get a bit more sore, what happens We typically believe that, that once you develop knee pain that you start to do less. People avoid certain activities. They start to modify their day so that they don't have a knee flare. There are definite behavioral changes. However, from an energy expenditure perspective or from a physical activity perspective, there are actually, there's not much change that happens. We took a look at this using a large observational data set of healthy or of the general population uh, called the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, or NHANES, and compared those individuals without osteoarthritis to those individuals in this cohort I mentioned earlier, the OAI, or Osteoarthritis Initiative, who had painful NEOA. And both of these cohorts put monitors on uh, these in, on the individuals and took a look at how much you know, objectively measured physical activity did each of them do. And we found, by and large, within uh, sex and age strata, they did the same. There was the same amount of, unfortunately, low levels of, of physical activity in both. So the notion that, physical, that osteoarthritis is negatively impacting physical activity, while it's true for certain activities, overall, people are just not that active and are not changing their activity that much. Does it change after you've had a joint replacement? So I guess intuitively we might think that, okay, you have the joint replacement because your knee's really painful and the whole idea is that the symptoms resolve and then 
We're trying to get you function better. Does that happen? I love watching the, or taking a look at ad advertisements from orthopedic practices of pushing people to have joint replacement, you know, and there's always the picture of, you know, and it's not subtle. There's like, it's like a snowboarder and a half pike, like take back your life. I am all about, you know, promoting activity and, and helping people to, to see their potential. And yes, joint replacement is a vehicle to, it is, you know, well-proven to be very efficacious with decreasing pain and improving people's function. However, from a physical activity perspective, that is from a behavioral change perspective, the data shows otherwise. Most people don't change their activity from pre to post. Although they can do things now, they don't actually end up doing them. And the reasons for that uh, are, are complex and multifactorial. The Bottom line is that, you know, this is where physical activity interventions, you know, like for instance, Jen Stevens Labsley is, is doing these types of interventions. Our group is doing some of these interventions of trying to help people, you know, realize how little activity they're, they're doing and increase them in their activity after a, a, a knee replacement, because it's it's more of a behavioral element rather than a, you know, a physical impairment that's uh, limiting them. Right. And I think that's really helpful for clinicians and folks listening to us today to make that distinction, it's like, you know, the treatment, whether it's an exercise therapy treatment or whether it's a joint replacement treatment, that's can be a very successful treatment, but don't have in your mind that it's automatically going to translate to then someone who's go, as we said, goes from zero to hero and just goes back to this great level of activity. So I think having that understanding of the prognosis is important and knowing that those activities are possible and safe and reassuring folks, I guess, that it's safe to go back to walking, it's safe to go back to golfing, it's safe to go back to all of these different types of activities is is one thing. But as you say, then it's about addressing the complex background behind why is it that somebody's not active and what are the barriers and, uh, you know, is it a case of built environment is the challenge? Is it a financial challenge about accessing space or accessing equipment? There's a whole bunch of different challenges, as you know. Some people might be thinking, well, can't, what are the types of activities that people can do after a joint replacement? Is it safe to go running? Is it safe to go skiing? Can you help us understand that a little bit, Dan? I value people being active. And I think that above all else, if there's something you find enjoyable to do, you should put a lot of value in that. You found that one thing that keeps you moving and is something you love and is likely, you know, it, it could be an individual thing, but it also could be a group thing where you have a whole social network around, you know, built around this one activity. And those things, you know, we understand from the physical activity literature are turning out to be incredibly important for sustaining this activity. The more impactful activity or the, the more activities that have higher impact forces through the knees are typically discouraged after knee replacement. So things like, you know, running, especially endurance running and marathon running. Absolutely. Those are, the AAOS does not recommend you run after TKR. I guess my point is that if that's the one thing you do and that you enjoy it like to no end, well, you have to understand your knee is probably not going to last as long, but at least you'll be active through those. Now, this is kind of an extreme case, 
because there's also alternatives to, you know, the running. So like cycling has incredibly low impact force through the knee and has, you know, as much of a social, you could do it individually. There could be other things. So helping patients or, or people who have knee pain trying to be active afterwards, I think you have to go on a little bit of a soul searching journey and finding out, are there other things I can try? I think it's important to recognize that and to take steps towards, you know, either continuing to be active in the sport you're doing or trying a new one. And the therapist or the people around you play a key role in that and in understanding this is a, a process that doesn't happen overnight, that the decisioning around that requires support and encouragement. It sounds like a really important question or something that's going to take a bit of delving into and is going to be an important thing to get into is understanding why is it that what motivates you to be active? What do you like to do? What what sorts of things make you feel great when you're exercising? And how can we replicate that? And yeah, maybe it's that being out in nature is really relaxing and enjoyable. And so is cross-country skiing an option? Or as you say, I really love endurance. I love that feeling of pushing my body and being outside for a long time, that energy depletion, I need that. And can you get that from cycling as opposed to running? So finding alternatives, but taking the time to work through those different alternatives and taking the time to really understand and help the person themselves explore and understand for themselves what is it that they love and what is it that's going to be a sustainable way to to stay active. I I like how you touched on the benefits of activity because, you know, on the one hand, yes, there's all these major health benefits, you know, your daily decision-making actually comes to much more proximal things that, that are near and dear to your heart. So, you know, things like, that's why I mentioned like the social aspect of being able to see your friends or developing a social network and doing something active with them, you know, the social engagement part from a health-related quality of life perspective, or just a well-being perspective, it is huge. And, also with that, just the, the well-being for just feeling good. I understand it's very hard to switch from one activity to the next, but it is well worth your time to make that investment in physical therapists to understand that process and to be supportive. Dan, I think that's a fantastic place for us to finish our chat today. I think you've shared with us lots of big picture thoughts about why physical activity is such an important aspect of the physical therapist's training and the prescribing that we do and how we talk with the people that we're working with, why it's important for us as physical therapists to stay active for our whole lives and the benefits of staying active for our whole lives. So thanks so much for joining me on JOSPT Insights today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, where JOSPT official. Talk with you next time.